Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the borrower with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to episode number 37 of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and of course... Crickets, no Joey Parisi once again, but like I say, every single week so far since this whole thing has been going on, we miss you, Joe. We know you'll be back soon. Baseball season, maybe. We didn't delay spring training, which is really, really good news. We found out that we're getting a universal DH. The National League is no longer going to be having pitchers who stink at batting bat. Uh, We might have a draft lottery, and we might have a season. We'll see what happens. Looking forward to all that. But for now, we're going to get some analysis from one of my favorite people on Twitter.com slash the internet in general. And, of course, I'm talking about Cuba dugout, Phil Selig, the Cuban baseball player expert, as I like to call him. Wow. Phil, how are we doing? Fantastic. That's 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 some big praise. And, uh, you know, th- thank you for that. And thanks for thanks for having me. And uh, hello to uh, to everybody in uh, in Chicago, uh, Chicago land, and in, in uh, uh, you know more more so obviously in the White Sox nation uh, for their interest and in, in increasing um, kind of focus and on my work and and just yeah want to say hi to everybody and and uh, excited to to chat about all things Cuban baseball and uh, and Chicago. Absolutely, it's my pleasure to have you. So the point of this show normally is we go over the White Sox and the Cubs, right, and try to bring like the the scope of the local baseball scene while broadening it a little bit. We want to teach people about things going on across the league. I feel baseball has gotten very localized. Like people only care about their favorite team and their favorite city where here I am being like, guys, there are players all over the league that we need to be watching regardless of who your favorite team is. Okay. So I'm a diehard white Sox fan. They've been my favorite baseball team since I'm negative two years old. And, but why wouldn't I want to enjoy watching a guy like Juan Soto or Fernando Tatis Jr.? or Shohei Otani. So like we try to bring it to everyone. So that's why I'm extremely proud to have you on to talk about some of these great Cuban baseball players that the White Sox currently have and could have in their lineup eventually in the upcoming years. But before we dive into all that, I got to ask you, how'd you get into this whole thing? What made Phil Selig, a man from Ottawa, Ontario, decide, you know what I want to do? I want to cover Cuban baseball. How did that all start? Yeah, so so I mean, I definitely stumbled into it, and uh, you know, have to give a, a shout out to a good buddy of mine, Dave, who I used to uh, used to play baseball with, and had been going for years, and and had always been trying to convince me to uh, to come down to Cuba and 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 check out a game. I had a passing knowledge, um, you know, and, and more just from the World Baseball Classic, but no understanding of the, the you know, the potential scope on the island itself. So I had some uh, vacation time left over at the end of uh, 2012 and, and looked and said, heck, let, let's try this out. So uh, we went to uh, went to a spot called Cienfuegos, which has produced uh, quite a level of talent um, and specifically for for the White Sox. And you can see uh, over my shoulder is, uh, of course, Jose Abreu, who uh, uh, you know, played for played for the Elefantes and who I saw in that game. And and right away, um, I was impressed both by kind of the, the scale of the stadium and the presentation, uh, but also in the fact that, you know, it was a little bit simpler. It felt like a throwback. You know, you can call it a tie 
time machine to a bygone era, but uh, very quickly kind of realized that I was seeing something special. And that was cemented, uh, you know, a couple of years later when, when Abreu was making an impact in, in the majors and more and more guys that, uh, you know, I saw looked and say, Hey, I captured that guy. I saw that guy. We're, we're having an impact. And, you know, over time, my photos have connected uh, connected with uh, a lot of the people there, and I've, I've put a lot of effort into to building relationships. And and uh, and if nothing else, it's just an excuse to avoid uh, Canada's winter while watching uh, baseball. Typically, when there is none, so I like hearing that. I mean, we all miss baseball when it's not going on, and when you follow baseball on a world scale, you get it year round, and that's when it's the most fun mm-hmm. to me. Being a native of um, Canada do you cheer on the Toronto Blue Jays or do you more just follow your favorite Cuban prospects around and root for them on a singular scale? So um, I am actually, I should, should say that for a small period in the early eighties, uh, when I was about five years old, I was, I was trying to discover what team, uh, what team to cheer for. And actually uh, my parents did, uh, did buy me a, a White Sox hat, um, and and for a, a small period there, would have counted myself as a White Sox fan, and, and uh, really liked uh, Harold Baines, but uh, kind of eventually followed uh, followed my brother into uh, into Yankee fandom. So I've uh, been a Yankees fan uh, for for my entire life, but um, there are definitely some Chicago ties to that, and 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 just quickly, uh, anecdotally, have been to Chicago before, and um, you know specifically uh, Wrigley, which is when I was starting out as a photographer, and, and kind of one. One of the first photos that I took that made me think that maybe there there was something here was was of Wrigley. So there is uh, there, there is a piece of uh, Cuba dugout that's definitely been driven by uh, by Chicago and like I said, fueled especially now by uh, the number of uh, players that are in that pipeline and, and the amount of interest that uh, by 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 White Sox nation and, and kind of their fandom. So very cool. And the White Sox they went ninety three and sixty nine last season. They won the American League Central with you know, relative ease based on the rest of the division, not really showing up to play like we kind of thought some of them were would. Um, that was all the result of a big rebuild that they started at the end of the 2016 season following a disastrous season that year when they thought they'd be good, but they weren't. And then they had some internal issues and it led to this rebuild. And the face of the rebuild was one of the great Cuban players in our game today. And that's Yoan Moncada, who came over to the Chicago White Sox with Michael Kopech in the Chris Sale trade. He is probably the biggest center of debate on White Sox Twitter because there are people that look at the underlying numbers. They see he was a four and a half war player, but he his OPS is in over 800. So can you consider him an all star? His on base percentage is outstanding. Some people like to call him soft, even though he played the second most games on the entire White Sox roster. So I ask you, somebody who's probably been watching Yoan Moncada back to his days as a Red Sox prospect and maybe even before that. What do you make of him? So I, I did first see him in Cuba, and uh, th- there's a lot of talent there, and I understand that people are are looking for more. And you know, you got to realize he's still what 26 or 27. Uh, so I think there there is there is more there. Um, I I look at it through the perspective um, that he might be a victim of some of the hype that surrounded him. So. Uh, he was touted as a, as a shortstop coming through, which wasn't fair because he he predominantly played second base when he was uh, when when he was in Cuba. Now that being said, younger players do um, oftentimes will debut much younger, and uh, can even establish a starting role and get get a lot of uh, get a lot of playing time in Cuba, but. They don't bend over backwards to accommodate a player. So, for instance, um, he actually was probably blocked at shortstop, or at least that uh, for that Cienfuegos Elefantes team, because uh, he and Abreu were 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 teammates in in Cuba, and for a short period. Um, with with Yasiel Puy as well, but he was kind of blocked by a player that um, went on and signed with the Dodgers and Eribel Eru uh, Borenia. So um, that being said, I I never thought that the uh, that the shortstop um, you know predictions would would stick, and the idea that he was the number one prospect in the world is a little bit unfair. But for the sake of of a guy that uh, you know is playing Gold Glove caliber uh, third base defense and giving you but he had close to a 380 on base percentage last year. And, and, and I know people are looking back at his, at his 2019 and thinking that, you know, it was going to be uh, just a, an escalation. I think there's still time for him to recover. And I think if people do give him some time, I think he's uh, I think he's a nice piece and, and um, probably, probably, you know, the best, this side of, of Louis Rober, um, probably, you know, one of the higher ceilings of the guys that have established themselves in the, in the major leagues from Cuba at this point. 
So you brought up Luis Robert and relative to Yohan Moncada. If Moncada is your fifth or sixth best hitter on your roster, mm-hmm. you're probably a really good baseball team. Exactly. And yeah. that's the White Sox were seven games short of a hundred win season in a year where they had some significant injuries to consequential players. And Luis Robert was one of them. 3.6 war in only 68 games last year. If you expand that to about 145 games, we're talking an eight and a half war player potentially, which is right there with Otani, um, Mm -hmm. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., some of the other top or uh, upper echelon players in the American League. Do you think Luis Robert can be an MVP caliber player in this game? I, th- I think the sky's the limit for him. And uh, similarly, it's another player that, that I did see play in Cuba. Now, uh, I'll give the caveat on that, that uh, he was about 16 or 17, but um, and, and coverage wasn't as strong other than what my, my eyes could see at that point. So I did notice that uh, as a live uh, young young athlete that he was a little bit different than, than typically what you would see at that point. So And he, he very quickly, if he debuted at 15 by the time he was 17, was, was putting up uh, fantastic numbers. And that was on a, on a team that was a mini dynasty. So for him to earn, as I said before, you know, a lot of times younger players will get an opportunity, but on a, on a veteran team for him to, to get that starting role, um, was was pretty impressive and actually so he would have been patrolling left field at that point and right field is a, another player that uh, people are probably aware of now in Adolis Garcia so so that was a that was a very very strong team there so uh you know I've chronicled him as uh, through the rise got to see him uh, again in person uh, uh in Ottawa in 2016 when uh, when Cuba was uh, was here um and playing against the Can-Am League didn't have a great series there but again you could see you could see the poise um the biggest thing that 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 impresses me about him and having seen him do this in the minors and even after a kind of an underwhelming 2020 adjustments from a bat to bat and adjustments overall. And that's where I think the biggest thing is he, he's actually, you can see um, he's still young. He might rely a little bit on, on his tools at first, but uh, there, there's a smarter baseball player in there. than I think people uh, give credit sometimes and just his, uh, his, his adjustments. And we saw that in 2021. And if he continues to make that in 2022 and stays healthy, I, I think this guy's living to this uh, when it's all said and done. Um, you know, part of it might just be the fact that, you know, he has broken in younger than a lot of the other guys. But uh, when all is said and done, he could go down if he if he does what it looks like he's on the path to is, is potentially, you know, if not the greatest player out of Cuba, one of the greatest. So, yeah, Asmani Grandal hails from Havana, if I'm yes. correct. He continues to be an elite hitter. He was outstanding in 2021. The batting average was a little low early in the season, but as we've come to learn in the last you know, five to 10 years is batting average isn't the greatest stat when it comes to evaluating hitters. Mm-hmm. It's a good tool, but there are other things that just show how awesome Yasmani Grandal is at the plate, his ability to draw walks, all that. But do you think it might be time to really concentrate him on just being a pure hitter, more of a designated hitter with the White Sox? Or do you think there's something still there in terms of his defensive ability at catcher? So I, I've watched um, kind of more of the response uh, response to uh, to to Grandel and and um, it is also interesting as well. Sorry, as, as a bit of an aside, as you say, he was born in uh, in in Cuba but got out younger. Uh, we haven't really seen Cuban catchers make the jump to this level. I'm, I'm not quite certain what that is. I've had some people postulate that maybe it's the uh, maybe it's the language barrier, but other other um, you know other players from other Latino countries have, have been able to do that. So I'm not, not quite certain because there has been a great uh, level of Cuban catching talent, but, uh, but nonetheless with, with Grandel, I mean, to me, um, as long as he's playing an adequate, uh, you know, adequate defensively, I, I think that that value that he, that he brings as a hitter. And, and, and it was even funny at points, as I, I saw the debate as it was going on, because for a long time he was kind of below the, the Mendoza line, but his on-base percentage was, was you know, ridiculous and, and obviously providing that, that power. Um, ironically, I guess he, he ended up hitting close to what his, his typical uh, average is. So um, <laughs> this might spark some, some debate or some flames. I mean, like I said, as a Yankees fan, I would, uh, I would, I would I would swap out Gary Sanchez for uh, for Yosemite Grandal in a in a in a heartbeat. So I think um, you know as long as he's not killing you behind the dish, 
uh, that uh, that all of the other warts that people perceive, you actually realize are, are, are tools of a, of a very effective hitter. And similarly, like you said to, to Moncada, if that guy is your sixth best, hit, sixth best hitter in your lineup, your lineup's pretty stacked. And if Grandel's your seventh, your eighth, and, and he's uh, playing even anywhere near average defensively, I mean, your, your team's set up pretty well. So. Yeah, uh, one of his great strengths as a defensive catcher is his ability to pitch frame. But if we move into the robotic umpire era, that ability is going to no longer really be required. Mm -hmm. But the thing, if I was him, he had the knee injury last year. And it cost him two months of the regular season. And he still came second on the team in terms of total home runs, only behind somebody we're going to talk about in a couple seconds here, Jose Abreu. Do you think... Grendahl can kind of be that powerful again going forward, or do you think last year was like the peak of his career? So, I mean, you know, catching, catching stuff, it takes a, it, it puts a, it puts a beating on you and, and he's not, uh, not getting any younger there. So um, yeah, we probably, we, we've, we've probably seen a peak in that power, but I think with him, everything comes down to if he can give you a little bit of power and maintain that, that on base percentage. And, and uh, like you say, kind of control some of that, uh, some of, some of that catching game, um, you know, and some of that framing game and help his pitchers out is, is, uh, is incredibly, uh, is incredibly valuable. So. Where does Jose Abreu rank in terms of all-time Cuban greats? A lot of people, a lot of people will put him number one. Um, personally, you know, and 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 my fandom is more in the past twenty years as much as I do delve into uh, the history. Increasingly, uh, he is he is probably the best that that I've seen. Um, you know, he's just a different, different, different type of hitter, just a, a, a purely professional hitter. And so his impact on the field is immense, but I think that there's, uh, there's no doubt the impact he's kind of had on the clubhouse and, and on that culture have had a, uh, have had a bigger impact. So it's no, no surprise that some of the other players that have come through the pipeline and, and kind of the reason why I think the White Sox are, are renowned for being able to mine, uh, mine that, that gold is because of, uh, of, of P2 being there and being that, uh, that calm steadying presence and i know a lot of the analytics crowd don't don't love him um you know but i look at that and say give me a guy that at the end of it is going to end up with 30 home runs and 100 rbis every season and just you know really really focuses in when it's uh when with runners in scoring position and does what he needs to to put bat to ball and try and try and drive those runners in i think that's a skill that's severely lacking in baseball overall and uh, and and a guy that uh, deserves uh, deserves immense credit and and arguably is is the best Cuban hitter of all time. He seems to be getting better with age. Do you think that's something that is sustainable? Uh, it, it, it depends to what degree and what you expect out of him. So I think that um, you know his conditioning has definitely gotten better. Uh, that's the one thing that I notice. And and not to say that uh, that he was ever out of shape, but because uh, I mean the first time that uh, that I ever saw him and actually. Um, you know, back in 2012, I uh, did get to meet him in passing. Again, another small anecdote that uh, what's kind of cool about Cuban baseball is after a lot of the games, or at least they used to, um, the team uh, kind of gets out, I guess, on onto the bus, except most of the team, uh, most of the players live within walking distance of the stadium. So <laughs> this this huge, this monster walks out while we're waiting for uh, kind of the, the team to come through and start signing autographs with, with people and found out that, hey, that, that's Abreu, and then just walks home. So, and, and, and it was striking, uh, just the, the sheer size of him, but the, uh, the commitment that he's put into his conditioning. Um, and, and again, I think his two strike approach, um, or sorry, no, his, 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 well, yeah, a little bit of the two strike approach, but sorry, his, his approach with runners and scoring position. I think that, that, that age is well, um, that being said, I mean, you've got the pieces that are coming into play. And like I said, as, as Robur ascends and as Eloy Jimenez uh, ascend that, um, you know, if Abreu, even if you're relying on him less and his first base defense has even stepped up, you know, for anybody that, that thought, you know, he was, uh, just, you know, kind of standing there holding a glove before his, his defense has become, uh, you know, kind of gold glove caliber. So I think, uh, even if over time in the next couple of years, if he, uh, drops off a little bit, I think just that, that reliance on, on, on having a, on a professional approach and, and driving in runs, even if the, the younger guys in the lineup ascend a little bit more is, is going to be a presence that they're really going to appreciate. I love it. We're happy to have Jose here. A lot of great things have happened since he came along and he was kind of put in a weird position. He had to replace an all-time great uh -huh. Chicago White Sox first baseman. I'm talking about Paul Konerko and who replaced Frank Thomas in the, that role. So you have a stack of 
first baseman here that have really made an impact. And Jose Abreu's done a really good job kind of taking that role and leadership and bringing it to this team. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, that, that lineage is impressive. And, and uh, the fact that he continues that, and, and I mean, maybe sometimes people might look at that and say, he is no Frank Thomas. He is no Paul Canerico, but I look and say, if, if, if he's not to that scale, he's not that far behind and, and has been, uh, you know, a great ambassador for the, the White Sox and effectively the, the face of the franchise for, uh, I guess we're, we're going on close to a decade now. So time flies. Yeah. I mean, you made me think of something right there. He might not reach the career numbers of Paul Konerko just for lack of playing time and being an older rookie and this and that, where Paul kind of started in his early 20s. But I don't, Abreu's not Frank Thomas, but he's probably more talented than Paul Konerko. I would say he's a better hitter than Paul Konerko. Paul Konerko never came close to winning an American League MVP or any sort of offensive award like that. So seeing what Jose Abreu's done, especially in the last three or four years, has just been magnificent. So. Yeah, no, and, and I've definitely, uh, I've, I've definitely enjoyed it. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, it's, uh, it's, a, I've met him a couple times in, in passing and, and he's always been, been gracious that way. And so, uh, there, there is no Cuba dugout without, uh, without Jose Abreu. So I wish him uh, all the success in the world. And, and again, as a mentor for, for a lot of the players and, and, you know, we have many, many mutual friends, uh, a lot of people that, that kind of played with him while he was still there and, and they have nothing but good things to say. So I, I love hearing that. And you might notice that's the player I've asked the most follow-up questions about is Jose Abreu because he's just become such an icon here in Chicago of modern-day Chicago sports athletes. I mean, there's guys like Patrick Kane and Khalil Mack who are like outstanding players in other sports in this town. But Jose Abreu is really right there with those guys. I'm wondering, in the uh, nation of Cuba, does he have that same cultural relevance that he does on the south side of Chicago here? I, I would argue so. And so, I mean, that, that's um... – Cuba's a little bit strange sometimes. Um, and, and there is one of the, one of the good things is that the, the online community is growing. The internet is opening and, um, you know, Cubans themselves are fiercely, uh, loyal and, and especially for players that have gone on to, to have success, even at points, putting aside sort of, uh, some of the, some of the local, uh, local rivalries. And so, um, you know, Abreu, uh, guys, uh, guys seem to love, uh, you know, all, all of the Cubans seem to, to love him. There's debates at other positions, but uh, yeah, I, I would say he's he's pretty much universally loved on, on the island of Cuba. That's outstanding. How happy were you when Minnie Minoso made it to the Hall of Fame? No, it was fantastic. And, and, and to see that, that, um, you know, it's, I guess the only argument is why does something take so long? Uh, but you know, it's never, never the wrong time to, to make the, uh, to make the, the right decision. And, you know, the, the impact that, that he had is kind of being the first, um, uh, or, or the first really breakthrough Cuban in, in MLB, obviously, you know, there was a, a, a long period where, where that, uh, where, where that stopped. And so, uh, to see him get his, his due is, is, is fantastic. And, and, uh, similarly, uh, on, uh, just, returned from Cuba recently and, and um, had got the opportunity to spend some time with, with a chap I'd met a few years ago that actually pitched in the first Cuban national series back in, in 1962. And um, you know, we, we, one of the things I enjoy doing is, is talking some of that baseball history and same thing, that passion when you bring up many, many Minoso uh, that uh, you just see people beam and, and they remember him from his time before he, before he left uh, he played uh, from Marianao, which isn't too, too far outside of, of Havana and back when, when people could uh, kind of follow his exploits in the majors there. And so similarly, there was a lot of, a lot of pride by, uh, by the, the Cuban baseball fanatics that I was able to talk to about that. Outstanding. Um, the White Sox kind of built a culture around Cuban baseball. And I think Minnie Minoso is one of the big parts of it because he, he's the first black player to ever play for a Chicago baseball team. Mm-hmm. And that obviously set the tone for what's to come here in the future, even if it is 50 years down the line. Do you think that having Minnie Minoso play for the White Sox all those years ago is a big reason Jose Abreu considered the White Sox, which ultimately led to other guys wanting to follow Jose Abreu, who's probably getting close to being as legendary as Minnie in his own right? I can't necessarily speak to that versus I, I know that the White Sox were very, um, you know, it, 
respectful and 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 having Minoso as as part of uh, as part of the organization. I think that once once Abreu landed in Chicago, I I, I think that that lineage and that history definitely uh, definitely helped. And and there's probably a level two of even though if it was in in uh, for shorter stints uh, that uh, El Duque and and more specifically uh, Jose Contreras, who I think uh, you know kind of uh, continues to act as sort of a a liaison and and uh, is uh, has seen through many of the outlets is is basically going to uh, try to to try to mentor a, a little bit uh, Norhe Vera and his ascent through the organization. So I think there is no doubt that having that that calming influence um, from people that have been there before, uh, giving giving a lot of that guidance uh, has helped uh, specifically with the White Sox. I think uh, it's similar for for Yuli Gurriel and 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 the crew in Houston, and you know because otherwise we have seen um, you know a lot of players in other markets if that support isn't there, kind of flame out, get caught up in uh, you know fastballs, fast cars, and, and and fast women, and then and then flaming out uh, sooner than later. So I think that that professional approach that with a little bit of that feeling of home has definitely helped uh, definitely helped the players and created a great environment for success. Outstanding. Whenever people talk to me about the cultural relevance of Minnie Minoso and what he's meant for not only the South side of Chicago, but the entire, you know, Chicago city limits as a whole, one of the biggest Chicago Cubs bars in on the North side is a place called sluggers. And they have this outstanding batting cage. It's a lot of fun. It's a complete Cubs bar, right? except for the fact that they have mini Minoso memorabilia all over the place. <laughs> it's like Chicago clubs plus mini Minoso. And for a place that is just vehemently against anything White Sox, that entire side of town to have that much of a White Sox presence in that one particular bar, that's right outside the friendly confines. It's outstanding to me. And I love to see it. Nice. Yeah. So um, no, that's great. To, that's great to hear that Chicago, uh, you know, respects the, uh, respects the, the, the contributions that, uh, that such a great player did, uh, did, uh, did give to the game. And, and again, they're reaping the rewards of that uh, to this day. So. Yes, absolutely. So last year's class of international free agents throughout the international signing period, the White Sox landed Yolki Cespedes, who is of course, younger brother of, one of the better players from the last generation, Yoannis Cespedes. We saw him win a couple home run derbies, have an impact with a couple different MLB teams. Um, do you believe Yolki can be as good as his brother Yoannis was at the MLB level, or do you think the White Sox are looking for something completely different? What's your take on him as a prospect right now? I believe he's number three on the White Sox, or he might even be two on the White Sox overall prospect list. So uh, they are half brothers, and and as time goes on, I can see um, more comparisons physically. So as as Yoelki kind of uh, grows into into his body, um, now he's always been a little bit shorter. But even going back, because um, I first started chronicling him up close about five years ago, and uh, it was still still stocky, uh, you know, kind of fit lad. But um, Yoannis is perhaps the greatest raw athlete to come out of out of Cuba. And so that results in tools on the field. It also obviously resulted with um, some things off the field. So um, I don't think you're getting that athletic peak out of Yoelki, but he seems to be much more mild mannered and, and, and um, kind of uh, simpler kids. So I don't think you're going to deal with any of that stuff off the field. So the, the, the tools there are real, but I would, I would say that Uenis is probably closer to uh, Luis Rober and, and those pure, just, uh, you know, crazy athletic tools versus um, I think Uelki, if he can, put together um, if he can kind of find a lane and, and, and stick to it and uh, it is going to be a nice piece, a very nice piece. And, and as, as the more I've thought about it, I, I think if he ends up being Melky Cabrera for his career is, uh, is, is a, you know, would be a nice path for him. So. Absolutely. Melky Cabrera. I liked having Melky on the White Sox for a couple of years. It was in the back nine of his career, but I enjoyed having him around for a little bit. That's a name drop that kind of makes me smile a little bit. He was a lot of fun. Uh, a year later, and we kind of heard about it when they first signed Cespedes, that they would be signing Oscar Colas um, in the upcoming international free agent signing period when they had more money involved. Um, do you like this signing for the White Sox? I believe he's the fifth overall international free agent prospect. I think it could be really good for them in the long term. And do you think he'll be an impactful MLB player? 
Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of been the worst kept uh, secret in, in all of baseball for uh, for close to two years, and so you know, I uh, I feel in, in a sense for the kid because his timing couldn't have been worse. So uh, you know, basically, he had been playing, had been granted the opportunity to go and play professionally in uh, in Japan with uh, with SoftBank, and decided that he wanted to play at a higher higher league, and, and made those intentions clear uh, right before March of of 2020, and so you know, got stuck in between with all of the COVID nonsense with the changes in the uh in the in the signing periods and 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 kind of uh and, and you know some contract dispute with SoftBank whether they were going to release him so that's what delayed him being able to sign so uh and of course through there and I mean I've seen the debate and the points I um I I, I hope I haven't fueled uh, with any with any clickbait the talk of him as a uh, as a as a Cuban Otani um, the thing with that is that that that, that kind of morphed and, and took off, but also recognized that when those uh, comparisons were first being made, did we know that Otani was Otani? So all to say that I think that his path is uh, as a right fielder, he has played some first base. So uh, in what I have compiled and what I have seen of him, because it has been a little bit tougher to, to follow him. And, and that goes for for some of the guys in, in, in Cuba, if they're away from the uh, from the Havana spotlight can be a little bit tough to to get uh, details, information, video, all of that on. But from what I have seen, uh, he has been putting in a lot of work and, and um, you know, and and because th- the biggest concern was going to be over his conditioning. And so he seems to improve that way. I, I do like his approach and what I've seen. It seems like a very balanced from the left hand side that um, and, and, and has good opposite field power. Uh, more recently, uh, I think uh, maybe I've seen a little bit of a change in, in, in his mechanic where he finishes a little bit higher on, on the backswing. And, and uh, I think a comparison I made before is it's not quite as exaggerated as, say, a, a Fred McGriff. But if it gives you that kind of idea where, where he's finishing high, which may be an attempt to, to go for uh, go for more power. So I, I think that, um, you know, the, the caveat with all of these newer players is these are not Jose Abreu and, and Yuli Gurriel for the sake that you're not getting a player with as much experience coming in. The other side of that is that for an organization that's signing them for way fewer dollars than those players used to receive is you have a longer runway to, to work with that, with that kid. But that being said, you know, the, the time will be closer to the, of the essence because, you know, the one thing that, um, and where the White Sox have kind of taken advantage of, of some of this, but there's a debate over, you know, the opportunity costs and also the reason why a lot of other organizations might not go that direction um, where most other organizations are signing the 16 and 17 year olds out of the Dominican. Uh, more of those players are becoming eligible out of Cuba. So uh, Colas as a 22 year old, obviously you hope is going to have a quick ascendance and, you know, could, could, you know, uh, maybe be a September call-up in, in 2022 or at least get an invite to camp and, and be pushing the envelope or pushing that conversation for 2023. So, Absolutely. Long-term, Cespedes or Colas in White Sox right field? Well, so my my dream obviously would be uh, Robert in, in center field, Colas in right, and, and Cespedes in left field. Um, you know what, there's a lot of different ways that that can go. And, and so that's why I don't necessarily get purely into the prognostication game or say that either one of them is, is going to be a future anchor for the Sox. There's no doubt that they're assets. And so those signings help the organization that, you know, there's a number of different ways that the white Sox can go and, and, and you know, you hear the shadow of, of Conforto. So, you know, I, I don't know what that means in terms of, uh, what they think, or you know, could they use them as trade flotsam down down the road, or it's whoever f- forces the hand first. So the White Sox have have some options there, except that obviously, I think they're they're, they're pushing into win now mode, and so you know the future the future is now. So if either one of those two players you know takes off this year and 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 goes wild and, and forces their hand, otherwise I also wouldn't be surprised to see if the White Sox make kind of an ancillary move because they realize that they need uh, major league contribution right now. But that being said, then can you use those players to to aid yourself in an, in another situation? So, but um, all things being equal, ah. Uh, I could see gun to my head. Uh, I think Cola sticks as a or plays up better as a as a starter. If if Cespedes makes it but isn't 
you know, a star or a starter has more tools to be a serviceable fourth outfielder. So his, his flexibility might mean his ceiling is lower, but could mean a longer MLB career, if that makes sense. So, Sure, absolutely. I appreciate that answer. Are there any other Cuban MLB players that may be associated with any MLB team besides the White Sox or the Cubs? Or it could be any team or maybe somebody that hasn't even signed yet that you want people to know about right now. Yeah, so uh, I, I focus quite a bit on on obviously the players that that I've seen, um, and some of that is maybe just to generate clicks. But <laughs> so if I have photos and that sort of thing, but also to to be able to speak about from firsthand knowledge. So uh, one of the signings that that does excite me um, recently, if if only for the sake that I want to see if the kid can make it, is uh, Cesar Prieto with the Orioles. I think that. Uh, Again, the market's been been wonky, and, and the uh, the push down on pricing, unfortunately, is is not good for the players, but it's great for the teams that are signing them. So, for them to uh, to sign the defending, uh, or well, I guess he's not defending anymore, but the uh, you know the 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 Cuban batting champion for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for for a kid that in his first three years in the league has has been uh, has been lights out is is an exciting prospect, and especially because there's a player that could end up. Um, and I assume the reason why he ended up taking that deal is that he does see the path potentially to the Orioles is much quicker, much easier. And so for the sake of him receiving uh, much less than, than I would have predicted at first, I really hope that that results in him getting a chance to play in the pros sooner and, and, and having an impact. So, Awesome. Can't wait to watch him. Hope he makes it to the MLB. We'll be keeping an eye on the Orioles from your recommendation. I'm excited to see if he's able to make it. Um, today, some news came out across Major League Baseball that the owners have agreed that they no longer need the designated hitter out of National League, and they are going to have it, and we're not going to have to watch guys like Chris Sale or previously John Lester, like pitchers who are bad at hitting hit. We don't have to see it anymore. And they're going to instill a draft lottery to try and maybe keep some of these teams from tanking and, hey, let's not bottom out and only win 50 games because it's really not going to give us a guaranteed number one overall pick in the college draft. So what are your thoughts on that? Are you excited? And are you also happy that we probably, as of right now, we don't have an official delay to spring training yet? Yeah, so I'm burying my head in the sand on some of that and, and some of the talk for the sake that like at least I do have baseball in my life for now. Uh, so that's kind of my coping mechanism. But because uh, I mean, one of the things is that um, you know, massive MLB fan, but also huge, uh, huge Cuban baseball fan. So I like both products for, for what they are. Uh, I don't necessarily try to compare the two. And, and so I, I enjoy both. Um, I typically count myself as a purist, but on the DH front, it's time, um, you know, for the sake of, I understand the debate that, oh, it, it spurs, uh, you know, better management and whatnot, but watching pitchers hit is just painful. Uh, <laughs> and so, so glad to see that. And, and, and also it's probably a key concession um, for the sake that, if wages are continue are, are going to continue to be pushed down in, in major league baseball. I mean, there's a myriad of reasons for that. And some of it is just time, you know, teams have gotten a little bit smarter um, with the, um, you know, with the service time uh, to realize that, you know, for the average player, it can become a free agent by the time they're 30, no one wants to sign a 30 year old free agent. So, I mean, there's, there's gotta be some tweaks to the system there, but at least creating 15 new jobs is, is kind of a way to, uh, to show some good faith and say, here's an opportunity for guys to, to earn some, earn some money. So, you know, excited about that. Um, you know, like you say, they're, they're not announcing that there's a, a delay. Uh, I don't know. I, I think there are some big things. I think there are some big things in there. And, and if you haven't watching the trend, like I said, or like in a, in a small uh, derivative of that, if you look at, just the international draft. And I mean, cause Luis uh, Rober is kind of the, the last Cuban to, to sign is kind of a pure free agent. I mean, he got 26 million and then the white Sox had to pay a $26 million uh, penalty on that. So $52 million for, for a player. Those days are long gone. When you see that Oscar Colas signs for 2.7, which if, you know, again, due to his bad timing, that might've been 4 million, you know, 5 million uh, a year ago. So, so those dollars are being pushed down, down, down. So, you know, the, the players union has to look at it and, and, and they need some fundamental changes here. And, and, you know, I've seen some good suggestions that I think revolve around basically just getting guys to free agency sooner, but I don't think the, uh, I don't think the league wants to 
or the owners want to do that. So there's there's some big big things on the table that aren't even really being um, dissected just yet. Um, so we could be in for a long one. I'm praying we're not. Uh, we could be in for a long one, but if we are, then at least I've got the Cuban National Series to keep me warm for uh, for 75 games. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm excited to be following along too. It's something that I've taken interest in since becoming a fan of your work. And there's simply seriously always gonna be baseball in my life as well as yours. And I'm happy to hear it. We talked before the that we went live here about a couple of lighthearted things that don't really have anything to do with baseball. You're from Ottawa. I also have a hockey show here on the Barroom Network where we love talking a little bit of hockey. Do you follow the Senators at all? Do you have any favorite players, any loyalties to the game of hockey? I know it's big up there in Canada. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's actually one of the one of the funny things is that uh, you know, as a Canadian that that sometimes feels a little bit more American, I, I can barely skate to save my life, and so that's why I think baseball's played such a, a big part of it. But no, no doubt, um, you know, I, I follow the uh, follow follow the Sens in passing. It's been a been a tough go over the last little bit, although I mean, there've been uh, a couple a uh, couple little spikes in there where the team almost uh, you know almost made it uh, to the to the finals, and and so it always seems like one step uh, you know two steps forward, one step back or, or three steps back. So with that being said, uh, you know, kind of looking forward, uh, hopefully very, very soon that uh, to, to get back out and, and uh, kind of uh, get back into that environment. Cause uh, going, going to live hockey is always, always kind of fun, even though people sometimes call Ottawa the city that, uh, that fun forgot or, or the city that was built one bylaw at a time. So, uh, but uh, actually more excited this year that um, after, after a hiatus, firstly to, to COVID and then secondly, due to uh, actual economic situation of the baseball team that we're going to be getting a, a frontier league team back here in Ottawa, which uh, I'm hoping presents the opportunities um, that, that if, even if the Ottawa team doesn't bring in some Cuban, uh, Cuban players on, on kind of, it's not an exchange, but they're, they're able to sign Cuban players uh, that I know Quebec city and, and uh, Trois Riviere have done that in the past. So uh, if, uh, you know, if they bring in some of the, some of the players that can chronicle their story and, and uh, tell more, uh, tell more tales and more, uh, more content for the website, all, all, all the better. So. Absolutely. I'm going to have to pay my visit to Ottawa one day, hopefully after everything that is going on in the current world can kind of pass along a little bit. I, I would love to get to Ottawa because I want to see obviously some baseball up there. And of course the senators to me are a fun team to watch. They're one of my favorite teams to watch because I love prospects and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to hockey, I'm, I follow the draft very closely and the Sens have some good, good young talent coming through the system there. So get some goaltending and they'll be off and running. They got their captain. So it is also super week. And, you know, that's the big topic around the sports conversation right now. The Los Angeles Rams are getting ready to host the Super Bowl for only the second time ever. Last year's Tampa Bay Buccaneers did the same thing. They will be playing against the David in the David versus Goliath kind of Super Bowl that we have here, the Cincinnati Bengals. Do you have a prediction? Uh, you know what? I, I think the um... – you know, I think LA to see them kind of uh, rebound after um, you know losing a, a couple of years back and to still be in it is is, is good for them and 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 to host and and so I uh, I didn't like the Matt Stafford deal when when they made it it didn't make sense to me but you know I'm eating crow on that one so uh, I guess that's why uh, that's why I'm not an NFL general manager so um, you know it's um, I'm I'm gonna watch it more just as a uh, as a social uh, social event because um, I'm actually a big uh, bigger bigger Patriots fan. People people jack me up on 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 that. How can I be a Yankees fan and a Patriots fan? But uh, I actually grew up on the east coast of uh, of Canada, and so um, a lot of times you'll see some strange allegiances based on uh, on the on the television feeds that we got there. So that kind of uh, explains that. So you know, it's um, it, it's in in a regard, I guess it's good to see uh, kind of two newer teams in there, even though. Obviously, Los Angeles was there recently, and, and so Cincinnati making it. Uh, who who would have predicted that? So I mean, could we be seeing the rise of uh, in in Joe Burrow the the next uh, the next generation, or you know, could this be the peak? So there's there's all kinds of interesting storylines there. But I think um, <laughs> again, it's only the second time you can ever say this. Give me the home team in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> absolutely, uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm very happy to have had you on our show. Where can people find your stuff? The Twitter, the the website, all your content that you're doing, the photos. Where can everyone get access into that? Yeah, so I've tried to make it as as, as simple as possible. That uh, my website is cubadugout.com. My handle on uh, Instagram, on Twitter. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook. All is uh, as Cuba Cuba Dugout. 
and uh, check uh, check back frequently. I try and hit all uh, all the different platforms. Uh, most of the photography is mine. Most of the video is mine, and and dabbling more and more into uh, into the writing side of it, and and try and provide some some diverse looks. I mean, I know there's a lot of interest in the prospect side of it, and and when uh, when I have that pertinent information, I'd like to share it, but uh, also providing stories of some personal uh, travels that I've had that that revolve around baseball and and talking about um, the Cuban National Series itself, and also so Cuban baseball history overall. So kind of all, all things in the Cuban sphere, trying to, trying to, you know, promote that and, and uh, tell some great stories. So. Absolutely. Can't appreciate enough how, what you do for the baseball community and everyone needs to check you out and become a fan of your work because it's outstanding. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you. No, perfect. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And always, always love talking about it and love talking about it with uh, people that are passionate about uh, the impact that Cuban players have, have had in, in baseball and, you know, specifically for, for their teams. And so it's uh, great to, great that that interest is growing. So. Absolutely. And we'd like to have you back on maybe mid season, get a little bit of an update on what you're seeing from the Cuban side of things. Maybe someone who came up in the league and made an impact that we weren't expecting and what the White Sox are doing. So it'll all be a lot of fun. And with that, we would like to send everybody to a quick commercial break. It just pisses me off to the fact, like, to no end to see him on another team when he should still be with the Hawks. Ro- uh, Rocky Wirt should call Stan Bowman and just remind him that he's still fired because of that trade. We would just call him up, Stan, how you terrible. doing? How's the family? Oh, by the way, just so you know, you're still <laughs> fired. I mean, he's uh, so good, dude. And, uh, and it made me laugh when Panarin was on the Hawks. He's only good because of Kane. Are you stupid? Did Kane ever have 100 points before Panarin came along? What the hell are you talking about? So, yeah. I don't know. That used to piss me off, too. And I'm happy that when they did trade him, he proved that it wasn't because of Patrick Kane. And I think every no- normal, rational Blackhawks fan would agree with me on that, saying that they're happy seeing him have success without Patrick Kane because Artemi Panarin deserves his props as well. Oh, yeah. And it's not his fault he was traded. You can't hate Panarin because oh the no, end of the Hawks no, no, an no, idiot. No, no. I yeah. hate Panarin. Oh yeah, well, I love Panarin. Bowman lost three trades involving Brandon Saad. Not one, not two, three. I love Panarin because he gets in. You could tell he's passionate. Like he's throwing gloves over at Brad Martian. <laughs> I love yeah. this guy. And Artemi Panarin, he challenged some political controversies in Russia a couple years ago, and he had to take a leave of absence to go help his family, like protect them or whatever. And the Rangers had like a 300 winning percentage while he was gone. So in terms of most valuable players to his team, it's hard to argue against Artemi Panarin for the New York Rangers. Yeah. And over this weekend, uh, one of our family members, you know, asked me in a lot of times, like people who aren't huge NHL fans, but really big Blackhawks, they don't necessarily don't know like how certain players are doing, especially over in the Eastern conference. That's kind of why we invented this show. Yeah. They don't watch the games, which is understandable. And you know, a when, obviously, when the Rangers make their way over to Chicago or vice versa, it, it reminds people like, oh, yeah, Artemi Panarin, how's he doing? And a question I get a lot is, how did the Hawks ever let that guy go? And then you have to explain, yeah, it was probably one of the worst trades I've ever seen the Blackhawks do in the past 20 years. Um, but then you have to remind that person like, yeah, this guy is not only is he doing good with the Rangers, he gets MVP votes every single year, it seems. And he's going to win one one of these years. <laughs> Welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk, episode number 37. Watching that advertisement with me, Joey, and Frankie, it just goes to show how passionate and heated we can get on you know our favorite sports teams and all that kind of stuff. So make sure every Wednesday you tune into the Barroom Network at 2 p.m. Central Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, where we just we have conversation like that all the time. It's been a little more lighthearted lately, talking about the Super Bowl, the All-Star Game, all that kind of stuff. But as the playoff races get a little bit heated... I know that things are going to get a little bit spicier again on that show. Thinking of the Boston Bruins with Joey Parisi. Brad Marchand has been suspended for six games. Patrice Bergeron is out with a upper body injury. We know it's something to do with a concussion in his head, so they're going to take it slowly with that. And Tuka Rask has retired. So the Bruins no longer, they're going to play tonight for the first time ever without a single player that played on their Stanley Cup championship team in 2011. So wild times going on. It's going to be interesting as teams like the Detroit Red Wings and New York Islanders try to catch Joey's Bruins in the postseason chase and the Washington Capitals for that matter. 
So it's going to be a lot of fun to go over. And I'm telling you guys, it's must-see programming, bar down talking hockey. We get a little heated. We have some laughs. A lot of references to Breaking Bad. Joey thinks Walter White isn't that evil of a human being. All sorts of fun stuff going on with that show. So I can't stress it enough that people are going to want to tune in. I kind of touched on with Phil Selig from Cuba Dugout, which outstanding performance by Phil. I thought he was outstanding. He was very informative and a lot of fun to have on this show. So it's, you know, my pleasure to bring guys like that in who can give you know, tremendous detail on certain areas of expertise. I'm not sitting there watching the Cuban league every single day and keeping track with that. But when guys like Oscar Coles and Yoki Cespedes join the White Sox by signing via international free agency, I, I know who they are before they even make these signings where maybe five or six years ago without a guy like Phil, I probably don't know this stuff in advance. So having guys like that and girls like that on these shows, I think it's tremendously important. I can't thank him for coming on enough. And one of the things we touched on at the end was the fact that Major League Baseball announced a couple changes that are going to be going on over the next couple years. And with the new collective bargaining agreement, the owners have announced that they are going to rid pitchers hitting by choice, obviously. I'm pretty sure if a team like the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim want to forfeit the DH so that Shohei Otani can still hit on days that he pitches, and then when he comes out, they're just going to have to let the reliever hit and pinch it and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I believe the DH rule is no longer a part of the National League, which there are some baseball purists out there, and believe me, I get it. I've been a fan of baseball for a long time. I know when we were kids, the best athlete on the team was the pitcher, the best pitcher on the team, and he also happened to probably be the best hitter on the team. But that's not really what it's like anymore. Even a guy like Oscar Colas, he's giving up the pitching part of his career. Not everybody's doing what Otani does. So I think it's great news for the National League. It's going to be more fun to watch. Maybe the Cubs will go out and re-sign a guy like Kyle Schwarber, who can hit 30 home runs in his sleep. But there was really no room for him. You don't really probably want him playing first base. That kind of was a failed experiment by the Boston Red Sox. I think he could play some competent left field. But if you can have a guy who's a left field wizard out there that can also hit, you'd probably rather that. So shout out to that. I'm pretty happy about it. Um very excited about the fact that Major League Baseball is also going to implement a draft lottery. People who watch other sports besides baseball. I mean, probably a lot of people tuned in here watch other sports. The draft lotteries are some of the funnest events on the entire sports calendar. When the Devils won the draft lottery for the National Hockey League, it happened twice. I jumped up and screamed like a little boy 10 different times. I was so excited. Imagine that feeling, your base, favorite baseball team. They just missed the playoffs. But they get rewarded. They won the draft lottery. Oh, sometimes tanking isn't always going to work for you, Baltimore Orioles, who have won about 100 games in the last three years combined. I'm exaggerating, but it's probably not a far off. And just these teams, they continue to be bad. And we're finally seeing a team like the Texas Rangers start signing some players, so they're not going to be bottoming out every single year that's no longer going to be as beneficial to you because you might not get the number one overall pick anymore. And I know the baseball draft is the hardest to predict because guys like Chris Bryant could be taken second overall behind a guy like Mark Appel, who never even made his major league debut and he's retired by now. So it'll be interesting to see how that all goes down, but some big rule changes. Rob Manfred was expected to get up on that podium today and delay spring training. He did not do that. Rob Manfred did not delay spring training. It is still scheduled to begin eight days from today that they're going to have a meeting on Saturday. And like everybody always says, and you might be so far away, but it could end at any time. It's kind of like NHL overtime. This game could end at any minute, but it's far from over. That's kind of how the major league lockout currently is right now. One little spark in between the two sides could really lead to some great advancement in the collective bargaining negotiations. So uh, to address Skyler's comment and the thing about the small market extra draft picks, I'm not certain if they're going to have that little compensation round in between the first and the second anymore. I would probably be in favor of it because I hate when people think that only the Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers can compete for the World Series. And then you got teams like the Cubs and the White Sox who each play in a major market but sometimes act 
and operate as mid-market teams, I can't say that I would ever get rid of those compensation picks for those teams. Um, I, I'm excited about the draft lottery, though, I must say. And I, I hope teams really start to be the Tampa Bay Rays if you don't have all this money. Be the Oakland A's who are going to start a rebuild and probably do a better job of teams with more money than them. So I'm a fan of it all. And one thing I also wanted to touch on before we head on out of here, very excited, hoping that the two sides can get something going before spring training starts. I saw a tweet actually before we get into the last topic of the day from Ben Verlander, who, yes, you guessed it, he is the brother of Justin Verlander, superstar, future Hall of Fame pitcher for the Houston Astros slash Detroit Tigers. He said it would be really, really funny if the MLB and Major League Baseball Players Association could come to an agreement on Saturday, but kind of keep it hush-hush, and then announce it officially right before kickoff of Super Bowl 56 just to kind of like take a major sports spotlight on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm a football fan, so I'm not about, you know, one sport over the other. Like I have, I love my three favorite sports equally and basketball is really starting to creep up into there too. So I'm not one sport versus the other by any means, but I do think that would be incredibly funny and petty because the NFL does own the entire calendar and they do a wonderful job with it. So, and speaking of the NFL, Super Bowl 56 Sunday, I want to say it's five o'clock. I, I I don't even know for sure exactly what time it is. It's going to start because I'm just going to be sitting there eating buffalo chicken dip and pizza and chicken wings and chips and all the stuff we talked about on yesterday's Bardown show as our favorite snacks. I'm going to be eating all that watching coverage leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, I believe my Devils play at noon too or 1230. So I got that game to worry about as well. But I'm excited for the Super Bowl. We gave our picks. On yesterday's Bar Down Talking Hockey, you can hear from Joey Parisi and Frankie Mueller on the predictions that they made. I'll reiterate my pick one more time while I'm here. Why not? Why not? I believe that the Los Angeles Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not proud of my prediction because I love Joe Burrow. Um, I know I got my guy Skyler in the chat. We've bonded over Joe Burrow over the years. We knew that he was going to come to the MLB and just, or the MLB, the NFL and be a complete dog. And he was, he's a complete dog. Go Tigers, go Coach O, wherever you land. Um, I, I don't think he's landed anywhere yet. Either way, I'm excited for Joe Burrow. And I, I hope the Bengals win the Super Bowl, but I don't think they're going to. I think their offensive line is their biggest weakness, and that is the biggest strength of the Los Angeles Rams. I see guys like Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd just having an absolute field day with that offensive line. And the Tennessee Titans were able to sack Joe Burrow nine times. Do I think the Rams are going to sack Joe Burrow nine times? That's a lot, even for the best team against the worst team. I don't think that they're going to sack them nine times. But then again, if they sack them five or six, they don't have Ryan Tannehill coming out there on a three and out. They have Matthew Stafford throwing the Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr., two superstar receivers in their own right. So I I don't think that it's going to be enough to overcome for Joe Burrow, or I think it's going to be too much to overcome for Joe Burrow. I believe he's elite. I believe they'll be back. Jamar Chase, this team's awesome. I, I had them coming in last place in the AFC North this season. I had the Browns coming in first. I'm basically what I said about the AFC North, the exact opposite happened. It basically flipped itself upside down, but sometimes that's the way it is. And the Bengals are here and they deserve it. And I'm rooting for them. But like I said, when I'm making my bets, I, I am going to take the Rams and the points because I, I don't think it's going to be really close, but I'm not sure. You know, I, I might be wrong, Skylar. It might not be a blowout. But even if they win by two touchdowns, it's like that's kind of where I'm going with it. I don't like that that's the case, but it's just it's kind of where my brain is telling me to go in terms of making my professional pick and telling people where to put their money. But, you know, don't listen to me anyway. I'm stupid. If I was any good at gambling, I probably would be on an island right now watching Cuban baseball with Phil Selig. So it's going to be a lot of fun, though. I do wish everybody – happiness, health, and safety during the Super Bowl. I know it could be a, a sketchy time of year. A lot of people treat it like New Year's Eve 2.0. Don't do anything dumb after the Super Bowl. Get home safe. Do what you got to do. Be around good people. I know we got some stuff going on in the world right now that's not all that great, but 
Take care of your business. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I'm very excited to hear everybody's picks. You can tweet them at me, at Vinny Parisi, unless you think the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl. Then flood at Joey Parisi's Twitter messages. Basically, any complaints that you have with the Barroom Network in general, direct them absolutely to at Joey Parisi's inbox on Twitter. I'm sure he'll be happy to get back to you with any of any complaints or disagreements from our two shows here on the Barroom Network. But for Joey Parisi, and I'll even give a shout out to at the King Bean on Twitter. These guys do outstanding work with me and help make my job a lot easier. I've had a lot of fun doing these shows. A special thank you to Aldo Gandia, the great host of the Barroom Network slash director, all the stuff he does for us. Outstanding for me at Vinny Parisi on Twitter, as always. Thank you for listening.